Hello everybody and welcome to another one in our hopefully fascinating series of podcasts on financial well-being. My name's David Lloyd, actor, writer, broadcaster, bon vivant, general man about town. Um, I'm here with Chris Budd. And Tom Morris. Chris, tell us about yourself. So Tom's getting equal billing now, is he? Yes, he is. Well, he's wormed his way in to the podcast in quite a clever way. What's going to happen? People tuning in in about a year's time, it's going to be, Hi, welcome to the Tom Morris Show. I'm Tom Morris. Today's Tom Morris tip. Well, I know a lot of our listeners would quite like that, so there. I'm just going to fade off into the distance quite happily. So, David, I have a bit of a, a financial well-being decision to make, and I think you you might be able to help me make it. I will do my best. It's uh, a decision I have to make with my son. I had an email this morning, and this is very relevant to my financial well-being. I've been invited to renew my season ticket with Bristol Rovers. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it for him. That is a form of child abuse. <laughs> Chris, you can't do it. You cannot do it. We've had such a lovely time going to see the football, I have to say. Of course you must do it. It's no greater thing. When my son was your son's age, he used to come along to football with me, and it was just a great thing to do. Obviously, we went to watch Bristol City. Obviously. So we were actually watching decent football as opposed to the complete touch that is served up down I do the, set you up for this quite nicely, don't down I? At the you never let me ground. Down. But I do think that the bond between a father and son is a precious thing, particularly when he's your son's age and he's about to enter into that stage of being totally obnoxious and loathsome. I'm sorry, Chris, but he is. He's a lovely boy, <laughs> but it's coming. So I would seize every opportunity to spend some time with him. So, yes, my advice to you is reinvest and enjoy. All right, then, I will. Thank you. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, what's on today's podcast, Chris? So today we are going to have the second in our short series of three podcasts about investments. Uh, we heard last time uh, from Daniel Crosby, Dr Daniel Crosby, about mistakes people make when they invest their money. And in the next episode, Neil Beige will talk about how to assess your risk and then map that to investment portfolios and also take his own take on some of our behaviours as well. Looking forward to that. Uh, so this episode, we're going to chat about some basic investment principles. Ah, now isn't that a bit dangerous? I thought we were all about money for happiness and not just for what we can get out of it, investment returns. Well, yes, that's definitely true. But at the end of the day, we do actually need to invest our money somewhere. Everyone is invested and everyone has to make investment decisions, whether you like it or not. It's just what you have to do something with your money. So we're going to be handing out investment tips then. You're going to tell me what I can do with my money. I'm going to be rich by the end of the podcast. <laughs> Definitely not. We will be handing out some investment ideas or tips, but not actually where to invest. Um, Tomo and I are going to pass on some practical advice. Um, we've both been working in investments for many years, me a few more years than him, um, and hopefully we'll provide some food for thought as to how they could go about managing their own investments, whether it's by themselves or with an advisor. So, Chris, we have a regular feature of listeners' questions. What have we got this week? Well, I'm going to hijack this section this week, if I may, because it's rather than going podcast, to... you can do what you like. Mate. <laughs> rather than going to a regular feature, I would like to make a bit of an announcement. Oh, I, I was wondering about that spread around your girth. You're pregnant, aren't you? <laughs> no, although um, it does have a bearing on the regular hashtag pay rise for Tomo that you keep beating me over the head with. Listeners will hopefully be aware that I own a financial planning practice called Ovation Finance, for which Tomo works. Yeah, and also... Uh Producer Ian, who was Tomo's predecessor in earlier podcasts. Indeed. In fact, there are 10 of us in total at Ovation. And we are literally days away from signing a deal for me to sell the business. Wow. Now, of course, I actually do know this, being a friend, and Chris has kept me informed over recent months. But 
it's still a bit of a bombshell, I'm sure, to our, your regular listeners. Tell me why you've been and gone and done that then, Chris. Well, I'm selling the business in a way to the employees. But it's through a rather fascinating and interesting uh, vehicle called an Employee Ownership Trust. It's a special type of trust fund that means control of the business passes to the employees, but they don't actually have to come up with the money to buy the shares. So it's a win for everybody. Well, it is a win for everybody, absolutely. Yeah, tell, tell me more. Well, it does mean that as an employee and beneficiary of the Employee Ownership Trust, Tomo is now one of the owners of Ovation. So when you start campaigning for a pay rise for Tomo, he's going to have to direct this hashtag at himself. Don't worry, I've already started the wheels in motion. <laughs> <laughs> it's been quite an exciting journey for us, actually. What it does mean is everybody has a real vested interest in the success of Ovation. And we're all rather excited about it, if I'm honest. You can just see everybody's having a lot more of a collective involvement. I mean, we've always been lucky at Ovation that everyone's sort of had a voice and and put their hand up. But now everybody really has an interest in, in the business doing well, not just now, but in the future. So yeah, we're really excited. Fascinating. So Chris, from your point of view, I'm intrigued that, so it's a business that you started off essentially on your own. You've built it up now to where, as I say, you've got 10 people working there. I guess in the past, you've always been in charge and now actually you're giving it up. So what what's in it for you? Well, I'm going to carry on as chairman of Ovation, but I'm not involved day to day anymore. I haven't been for a little while. Um, I'm going to carry on doing these podcasts because I'm very passionate about the idea of money and happiness. So I want to carry on doing this. However, I have written another book um, and it's all about how to transition the business into employee ownership. It's called The Eternal Business. Um, it's going to be out in autumn. I've got a couple of deals offered by publishers. I'm waiting to hear from one more. So it's all very exciting. Oh, fantastic. So is that going to be a book based exactly on the experience that you've had in terms of doing that at Innovation? Or is it taking a step back and looking at it more objectively for anybody that wants to do that sort of thing? Uh, it's the latter, although obviously it's informed by my own experience. But the important thing is that the ownership is only a part of the process. So if you uh, make a company in what's called employee owned, uh, owned by an employee ownership trust, then it's really important that you make other changes within the business to engage the employees. It's not just about change of the ownership. There's a whole load more things that you have to do. And that's what the book is going to be about. Well, fascinating process. I'm actually due in very soon to see uh, Ian, who's my advisor at uh, Ovation, for my annual review. So I'll be interested to see what changes have been made? I'm wondering if that dartboard with the photograph of you on it is still up in the interview room. <laughs> the the whole the whole concept I think is going to explode. So here's a statistic for you: um, we will be doing a podcast, um, three or four podcast time, all about employee ownership. So anybody who wants to do some more, either contact me on Twitter at Ovation Chris or we will be doing a whole podcast on this. But just one statistic to whet your appetite about this. There are 280,000 or so businesses in the UK with between 10 and 250 employees. Okay, 280,000 businesses that are ideal to become an employee owned business. Currently, there are some 320 businesses that actually are. The most well-known one being John Lewis. So I think this is a sector that's going to absolutely explode. And that's why I'm, uh, as a business coach, I'm going to be setting up a new consultancy, helping companies to go through this themselves. Never has my appetite been more whetted. 
<laughs> it absolutely sounds fascinating, and to both of you, I wish you all joy. It's going to be interesting, actually, as the podcasts unfold over the next few months, because you're, I imagine, going to be having very different takes. Tomo's going to be going, well, I don't want to imagine exactly what it's been like. I envisage a scenario where Tomo's going to be, oh, it's great, finally, I've got control, we can do this, we can do that, and Chris is going to be crying in a corner going, they used to do what I told them to do. <laughs> they haven't done they what I've do. told them for years. <laughs> now, what you might find is that um, Tomo's crying in the corner going, oh, my God, that this thing went all wrong and it's my fault and I'll be sitting in the corner going nothing to do with me mate <laughs> I wish you both joy sounds really exciting right uh, time to then move on with our podcast and as we know one of the uh, enduring and indeed hugely popular features in the podcast is Titus Tomo he's here with us again once again, he's a legend in his own lunchtime. The man that took Chris and another colleague out to lunch managed to persuade them to buy something because he had a cheap voucher to pay for it. Thus was tight-ass Tomo born. And each time we do a podcast now, he comes back with another great penny-pinching suggestion. But before we come to the master himself, Chris, I believe you've got one for us today. Yeah, I've had a good tip from someone which came to us uh, when I was setting up a meeting with him. Eric Porter works for the Money Charity, uh, with whom we do some work. Um, he said he was going to be in Bristol and could he drop by the office for a coffee. He said he'd be there about 12 o'clock. Well, I replied, if it's going to be at lunchtime, you may as well let me buy you lunch. To which he replied, you can have that as a tight-ass Tomo tip. Always offer meetings at lunchtime on the off chance the other person will offer to take you out. <laughs> I love that. That is right up my street. <laughs> So, Tomo, what have you got for us? Do you know what? This week, I've got one of those boring practical ones, but I'll tell you what, I think this might save quite a few people some money. So, a great way to enhance your well-being is to put a power of attorney in place. Uh, something that, if anything happened to you from, uh, you know, if you were unable to act on your own behalf, somebody would be able to do so for you, make sure all the finances and all those decisions could be made, that sort of thing. And what has recently happened with that whole application process is it's meant to be a non-for-profit organisation that runs it, the Office of Public Guardian, but they've been making a profit. And they've gone, oh crikey, we need to give some of this back. So anyone who has applied for a power of attorney since, uh, I believe it was April 2013 up until March 2017, can actually request a refund. How much are we talking? Well, I have a table in front of me. So... Yeah, if you did it in 2013, it's about £54, up to sort of around April 2015, it's £38. So around about £40 to, to £50 that you could save. Oh, and that's per for... person, per application. Oh, wow. www.gov.uk forward slash power hyphen of hyphen attorney hyphen refund. I'm sure if you put in Google, power of attorney refund, it would show up. But yeah, great way to save a bit of money. Hurrah for the office of the public guardian. <laughs> and of course, one of our five basics of financial well-being is clarity and security for those we leave behind. So power of attorney fits right into that space. Good one, Tomo. Right, OK, thank you very much. Once again, a great tip from Tomo. Chris, moving on, what's, what's the main event for today? OK, so let's talk about investments and, and talk about some basics of investment theory. 
and get out a few maybe misnomers we're going to give out a few suggestions and tips Tom and myself but I want to make one thing clear absolutely at the beginning in the next podcast we're going to hear again from Neil Bage about how to assess your level of investment risk and how to map that to your investment portfolio so we're not looking at risk and suitability at all really today but we must stress it's essential that anything that people invest into should be appropriate to the attitude of risk and their financial circumstances that in itself is a shorthand for all sorts of financial planning uh, principles such as capacity for loss so by necessity due to the limited time on this podcast we're going to look at investments kind of in the abstract but investments should not be looked at in isolations of an overall financial plan great so the message from that is don't just listen to this podcast but but obviously all the other ones we've done as well the exactly. previous 34 exactly don't go out tonight just stay in for the rest of the night and listen to all the podcasts oh that can you imagine how exciting that would be? <laughs> what a night in. There's probably a Scandinavian word for that, isn't there? <laughs> in your underpants, listening to Financial Wellbeing Podcast. Oh, Scandi Grimm. <laughs> OK, so I've got a question for the two of you, OK? What is the point of investing? Uh, to look after and grow your money. Tomo? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Two, two more points I would say is... If you're going to invest it, probably to try and get a better return than you would putting it in the bank, maybe, or, or trying, certainly trying to beat inflation is often a reason to invest, sort of concentrate stocks and shares here. Um, but another one, and I think the most important thing is, so you can meet your objectives in the future, so you can do the things you want to do. Okay, yeah, all, all good definitions. Uh, I'll give you this one, that which we have from the Financial Wellbeing book. Investing is the act of placing your money somewhere that the returns are out of your control. <laughs> Actually, that's very true, isn't it? Because it means you can't just then go and spend it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But also, you don't know what the returns are going to be necessarily. Of course, sometimes you do, because if you have it under your mattress, you know you're not going to get any returns at all. But investing, I think, quite often is, is seen the stock market and, and where you have really no control over what happens to your money. So... Given that control of our daily finances is also one of the five planks of financial well-being, how we invest our money is really, really important. All investing really means is making a decision on where you keep your money. That's it. Uh, some may decide to keep it in the bank, under the mattress, or maybe in the teapot, or in a Brazilian coffee bean futures fund. But every one of those has implications. And that's the first point to highlight about investing. We all do it all the time whether we realise it or not, whether just to protect value or to generate better returns. Even keeping money under the mattress involves making an investment decision. And it carries risk, because you can get burgled and you can lose your money. When you say keeping money somewhere, uh, are we talking about pensions and ISAs, things like that? Not quite. Those are what we call tax wrappers. Those are the vehicles in which the investments can be held. What we're talking about here is what's called asset classes. Different asset classes available are things like cash in the bank, bonds, property, stock markets, also known as equities. And then there's subcategories within that, such as residential property, commercial property. And within the stock market, you've got the UK, the US, the Far East and so on. And each carries a different level of risk. So, for example, cash and bonds tend to be at the lower end of the risk spectrum and stocks and shares towards the higher end. So how these are mixed determines the level of risk in a portfolio. The idea of having different asset classes is really key. As the one basic rule of investing is to use lots of different asset classes so that you're not affected by, for example, a crash in the UK residential property sector or you know, a 
big impact that's happened on the UK stock market. You know, it's the it's the act of diversifying your investments. So if I was keeping my money under a mattress, I would be wise to spread it around different mattresses around my house. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you couldn't have put it better. Or, or maybe in the mattress and some of the teapot. Yes. <laughs> uh, and just to be clear, when Tombo talks about different asset classes, he means asset classes, just for those listeners. Oh, sorry, that's my West Country accent <laughs> coming through, isn't it? Right. I'll give you that one as a northern, a class. I'm happy with that, mate. <laughs> so here's, here's the first tip for investing to increase your well-being. To reduce the investment risk of your money, and that's spread the investments around these different asset classes. Yeah, but in 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 what sort of ratio though? It's all very well saying spread it around these different classes or indeed classes. Uh, but how much should people put in the UK, in the US, in Japan, the emerging markets? How, how do you work that out? That depends on a lot of factors, such as the attitude to risk of the individual, a current state of markets, and so on. In theory, every single portfolio could be completely different. Okay, that's great. Now, before we get too far down the line of individual um, investment advice, which isn't necessarily about what this podcast is about, let's get back to well-being, which, of course, is our guiding principle here. So what basics of well-being are there that are relevant to investing and, 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 and how could that influence how we then go ahead and invest our money? There's a really important fundamental which is a not often admitted truth, I think, which is that most people aren't actually interested in investments. So I've got a theory that for most people, the ideal investment would have the following characteristics. Number one, an above inflation return. Yeah. Number two, it won't ever go down. Definitely. And number three, they don't ever have to look at it. That is absolutely <laughs> my attitude to investment. And that's why I have a vation to do it for me. I need to put a caveat. Investments can go down as well as up. Investing is for the long term. Mm. You will have some times of short term drops that might not feel very comfortable and I'm sure we'll go onto that in a moment or, or in future risk discussions with Neil. In the long term investing can be very rewarding. And, yeah. and the main thing is as Tomo mentioned earlier that if you look at your investment returns are they on track to meet your financial plan? That actually could be, an, that, that was one of Tombo's definitions of investing, wasn't it? Is it working for your financial plan? Never mind has it gone up or down, are you on track? So this all leads us to investment tip number two. If you're not one of the very few people who actively likes managing their investments, let someone else do it for you. Set something up that aligns with your financial plan and then forget about it. It could be using a financial advisor or maybe a multi-asset fund if your pot isn't uh, that big. Hold hard, amigo. <laughs> what's, what's a multi-asset fund? Well, this is a fund that has a mix of those different asset classes I just mentioned. And this mix will differ depending on the fund's risk level. OK, that's good. But I've also heard a lot recently about active funds. Can you tell us what they are? Have you been reading the money mail section again? It's Never. very dangerous, very dangerous. Um, so active funds are ones that are run by a fund manager who are making decisions, picking the best, what they think are going to be the best stocks and shares in the market for the future. Uh, whereas a passive fund is one that simply tracks the market. So an active fund is adding on a layer of human intervention. So presumably they've got to be better, then active's got to be better if somebody's actually in there making choices. This is a whole can of worms you're opening up here, and I, we could do three podcasts on this subject alone. More words have been written about active versus passive than probably any other issue in personal finance. Add to them, Chris, add to them. <laughs> in theory, active funds should be better, but there is the extra cost of the human intervention. So active funds tend to be quite expensive and the performance after these costs is quite often actually no better than passives, sometimes worse. You've got the same with some passive funds as well. You know, people expect these to be cheap. 
when they're actually can be quite expensive. And you know, I'm going to name and shame right here. Mm -hmm. For example, the Virgin UK Index Tracker costs 1% a year. Now this is around 12 times the cost of an identical tracker that's available elsewhere. So 1% of your fund is at this the commission they take That's the fund 1%. charge. And, and to be quite frank, for a passive fund, that's nothing short of shocking. That's, uh, yeah. that, that's, with, that's not paying anyone to do anything. That's right. simply for a computer to track the market for you. So given that the idea here is to allow people to forget about their investments, which is definitely my attitude to investing, <laughs> which way should they go? So do you know what? I'd say keep it simple, especially if they're doing it themselves. You know, it's very, very difficult to assess what active funds are good or bad. And, you know, if you're doing it yourself, I would lean towards using a good low-cost passive fund. You know, there are even multi-asset passive funds now available that keep the cost down and give you a good spread of investments. Because you do have to ask yourself, do you have the knowledge and the resource to be able to pick the right active manager? There's an awful lot out there, and some beat the market, but an awful lot don't. So I'm going to, I'm going to move on to the next of our investment tips, David. Treat your investments like a souffle. You don't hear that very often, do you, that tip? I, like, I quite like that tip. I was inspired by watching Sabrina, um, Audrey Hepburn. What a great film that uh -huh. is. So she was doing a souffle, and I thought, you know, that is what investments are like. Once your investments are in the oven, so to speak, do not be tempted to open the door and take a look inside. All that will happen is the investments will have gone up and you'll get an unrealistic sense of joy, or they'll have gone down and you'll have an unnecessary panic. So as long as the portfolio has been set up right in the first place, just leave it alone. Now, to find set up right in the first place, so what, what is there anything particular we need to bear in mind when we're selecting investments and how we're going to make them? Well, we stick to this golden rule that the investments should be aligned to the financial plan. Uh, we'll look at how investments are aligned with behaviours more in the next podcast with Neil, but the golden rule is your plan comes first and the investments fit around that. It helps you to assess the risk you actually need to take, which can then help you assess whether you know, your investments are at too high a risk level, uh, then you need to take, and you know, crikey, if you could take less risk and achieve all your objectives, why would you take more risk? Well, that's true, true indeed. <laughs> Don't mess around with it too much. Uh, you know, the old souffle analogy does work well. Rebalance it, say, on an annual basis. Bring it back in line with, with the right risk level for you. What, what does rebalancing mean, Tom? Well, it might just be worth a second yeah, to explain that word. that's fair. So you start off with that uh, spread of those different asset classes that we talked about. And over the year, one asset class might do really well, one might not do so well, and it shifts where the portfolio is held on a sort of proportion basis. And it might be that you're in a higher risk portfolio than you were at the start of the year. So it's about bringing that back in line with your risk level. It seems counterintuitive to sell some of the profits in the good, good area, but it just brings it all back in line with your level of risk. And always bear in mind that actually, although you should probably do that once a year to keep it balanced, as we said earlier, we need to take a long-term view to investing, so we mustn't worry too much if it goes down. We have to believe that our long-term strategy will... Rebalancing is important when it goes down as well. Right, yeah, OK. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and to just complete the souffle analogy, then <laughs> finally when the souffle is risen and we're ready to enjoy it, we can take it out and there it is for us to feast on. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's getting better and better, this analogy. <laughs> so uh, apart from the souffle, you know, it all sounds very practical, rather dull perhaps, a little bit sensible, good advice. I want a little bit of free song. I want a bit of excitement. Where's the, where's the risk? Where's the gamble? 
Well, gambles go well and gambles don't go so well. Yeah, I know, but, you know, you've got to have that belief. You've got to live a little, haven't you, Chris? Throw caution to the wind. We did. Stick just... all your, your money on the last race. And go. <laughs> Put um, my entire winnings on black and spin that wheel. <laughs> yeah, this is why you're not an investment advisor, David. I think um, we used to have one client who was a, um, he called himself a, a risk junkie. And um, when we started looking after his investments, he said, I will at some point phone you up and ask you to do something silly because I love taking risk. And when I do that, you must not listen to me. And did this happen? Yeah, it did happen. And when we refused to do it, he sacked us as his advisors. (laughs) (laughs) The point is that we're not dealing with investment excitement. We're dealing with financial well-being. And having control, as we said at the beginning, is one of the major factors here. So taking investment risk that's higher than you're comfortable with will not give you feelings of well-being. That is that is boring. So I'm sorry. But no, it's yeah, true. but actually, but that is true. And I think for me, you know, my investments are my pension. That is my future, and and it's so important to me. Although I do have a, a, a medium to high attitude to risk when it comes to the investments, I kind of need to know that they, that I'm going to be all right. Mm-hmm. I need to know that in ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, thirty years, I'm still going to have some money to have the lifestyle that I want to have. Yeah, and do you know what this leads us nicely into another of our, our investment tips. And you know, that's don't invest in anything that makes your heart beat faster. You know, if you fancy a gamble, then take a small amount and play around with it. But the bulk of the investments should be something, frankly, a bit dull and aligned to the financial plan. You know, Carl Richards said in an earlier podcast, you know, investing is short-term boring, but very long-term exciting. I accept all that, but, but haven't you at least got one tip for people who want to you know, play around a bit, take a bit of a risk, even if it's only with a small amount. Yeah, the 3.30 at Kempton. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the key thing with gambling or speculating, Mm. which people often mistake with investing, is I think you have to be comfortable that you could theoretically lose an awful lot of it, if not all of it, by going down that route and you you have to be able to afford to do it if you're going to play around with it yeah so my so the thing that i do for that is i play the national lottery and i do it online and i do a ticket on a wednesday and a ticket on a saturday so that's four pounds a week <laughs> uh, but i reckon that's money i can afford to lose there you go. yeah so to wrap up then uh, let's try and uh, summarize everything we've just been talking about your tips are spread investments across different asset classes Get someone else to manage your investments if you're one of the many, like myself, who aren't actually that interested. Align your investments to your financial plan. Don't invest in anything that makes your heart beat faster, unless perhaps it's a treadmill for your health. (laughs) And once the investments are set up, don't peek at them too often. Ignore the souffle. I think that sums it up. And I just want to finish with one last story, which I think illustrates the danger of playing with investments when you don't know what you're doing. So I was talking with a friend of mine who's got a portfolio invested with a well-known online investment platform. And he likes to tell me how good he is at investing. And the other day he said to me, Chris, investments are doing really well. I'm up 13%. Well, well that sounds good. What's wrong with that? Oh, where do we start? It sounds good, but compared to what? If his portfolio went up by 13%, but an average portfolio with that risk level went up 20%, it's done terribly. Yeah, fair point. So look, this is where something called benchmarking comes in and is quite important, well, actually really important when it comes to oh, investment good, management. I, I, I'm looking forward to explaining this because <laughs> I've often wondered what it was. <laughs> so, you know, there are several ways to look at benchmarking. It could be against you know, what the average has done of that 
risk level in the in the market? Are you above that? That might be a good judge of whether that 13% is good or not. You know, I would actually argue is, are you still on track to meet your financial plan, your own personal benchmark? I would argue that's probably more important because heck, if you uh, if the portfolio goes up by 13% and it means you can meet what you need to do in the future, great. Cash it all in. Yeah. <laughs> if that's now enough, cash it all in, stick it in the bank, why not? Excellent. Well, well, look, we've covered a lot of ground today and I think it's been quite useful for me. I've certainly... The, the great thing about these podcasts is I, as we do them, I learn stuff and I've learned a little bit more today about uh, what to do, what not to do. It's confirmed my... Uh, Your complete lack of interest in my, the subject. Exactly, my complete lack of, <laughs> and my strong belief that my money is in good hands and they're not mine. <laughs> so um, I hope you found that useful as well at home or in the car or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And please do join us again uh, the next time we talk about financial well-being. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.financialwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at FinWellbeing. Chris is Ovation Chris. And David is at Dave underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. You don't have to talk all night. I'm a man who can't say no. You don't have to twist my arm. Just point me where you want to go. Take me to the action. Take me to the track. Take me to the party if they're betting in the back. I've been working all my life. Can't afford to wait. Let me call my wife so I can tell her I'll be late. <laughs>